This is the last Sunday for a discussion on the first of the three poisons, greed. As we remember, the, the three poisons are greed, hatred, and delusion. So this morning, I'm going to summarize some of the main points that were covered by Lyndall and Lauren and myself over the last four weeks, and then spend a little time talking about some of the ways, the really subtle ways that greed can show up in our lives. I know over the last weeks, there have been a few objections to calling greed, hatred, and delusion poisons. But I actually like using such a strong word because practicing with greed is a great way to delve deeply into what's happening in our minds. As we go from a seemingly benign thought of like, oh, I like this, this is pleasant, to becoming obsessive, thoughtless about the impacts on other people and maybe even moving into areas where we're in conflict with our own ethical beliefs. And that same process is true dealing with hatred and ill will. So all three of us have talked about greed is on a continuum. And I think that's really helpful because um, even the Pali words of Raga and Lopa describe the ways desire can morph between the kind of mild worldly pleasures of Raga into the very strong attachments of Lopa, where we will do almost anything to hold on to what we have and even not share it with others. We also stressed the importance of practicing with the second foundation of mindfulness that I mentioned in the guided meditation of Vedana, really paying attention to how we respond to those moments of pleasant, unpleasant, and neither. It can seem so simple, and perhaps, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes you think, ah, oh, Vedana, not worth my time, you know, I want to I want to deal with a really juicy stuff, you know, but actually noticing Vedana is so essential to our practice, and it can really help us prevent those thoughts of desire going from Radha to Lopa. Lindell reminded us of the often quoted saying from the third Chinese patriarch of Zen, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And that, you know, for those of us who've heard that, that can be a pretty difficult um, piece to work with. So she offered us another translation, which really speaks to this continuum also. And this translation comes from Vipassana teacher Michelle McDonald. She says, the great way is not difficult for those who have ceased to cherish their preferences. It's the cherishing, the holding on, the kind of my way or the highway kind of approach that turns those simple preferences and desires into greed. I want to take a moment to talk about the word cherish because it's almost always used in a really positive sense of how we value others and we value them really highly and we treat them tenderly and with a lot of care. We keep them in our hearts. But here, this morning, I'm going to be using that word cherish more in the sense of what how Michelle McDonald used it, that holding on and clinging to. Lyndall also described 
wholesome and unwholesome desires and how important it is to really use our cultivated wisdom to discern which is which and to pay attention so that a wholesome desire doesn't become an unwholesome one, again through this process of cherishing and clinging. The three of us have all shared ideas about how to practice with greed. And I already mentioned making Vedana an essential part of our practice. But in addition, we've talked about noticing those times, and it's really helpful during meditation, when wanting isn't present. What does it feel like in the body and mind when we're just fine with whatever is happening? That there isn't even a hint of desire for things to be different. To really know what that feels like in the body and mind. Another practice is to notice the changes from pleasant to unpleasant. It's that difference between the first cookie and the fourth or fifth. Lauren suggested that we really examine what brings us happiness. I love the quote that she shared from the Dhammapada about renouncing a lesser happiness in order to realize a greater one. The practice of seeing our own beliefs about happiness and then practicing so that we become disenchanted with those lesser kinds of happiness and I like the word that she used of steadier happiness, the kind that one can really depend on. She also reminded us of the distortions of mind and how we believe that things don't change and that things that are pleasurable don't also involve suffering, that beautiful things can also contain ugliness and believing that we can control and own our own happiness. As she said, we are attracted to the permanent, the pleasurable, the lovely, and what we think we can control. She also reconnected us with that beautiful teaching on Anatta that when the Buddha talked with his son Rahula, and he used the phrases, this is not mine, this is not myself, this is not what I am. We, were, we reminded everybody to really keep the three characteristics in mind of dukkha, anicca, and anatta, knowing that all things are impermanent, imperfect, and impersonal. Another way to practice sometimes is to find like a short mantra that really helps you in this process. Joseph Goldstein uses one. He says to himself, all things are impermanent, they arise and they pass away. And then he adds, therefore, there is nothing to hold on to. Or perhaps that quote from Lao Tzu, who said, be content with what you have. Rejoice in the way things are. When you realize there is nothing lacking, the whole world belongs to you. And I've shared my mantra many times of trusting in the natural unfolding of life and receive that unfolding with understanding and ease. Both Lauren and Lyndall pointed us to look at what is beneath the greed that shows up, those strong desires, the cherishing, the holding on. Like Lauren was saying last Sunday, often what is below the greed is a desire to massage or cajole or feed the ego self, that small self. So we've 
We've talked about a lot of aspects of greed. With the time that, that I still have, I want to talk about two areas where greed shows up in a really subtle way. The first, and I realize I'm kind of going out on a limb here because I don't know if, if um, well, you'll hear what I have to say and then I welcome um, feedback when we get back together. So I think greed can show up in the very way we choose to live our daily lives. There's so much in the Dhamma about living a simple life. Living simply can help us better understand some of those underlying beliefs we might be holding on to that encourage more desire and clinging. You know, one of them is many of us have this belief that there's not enough for me, that the world, my world is lacking. But when we actually look at our lives, especially those of us who are so privileged, we have homes and food, community and resources, are those views about enough even based in truth? What does enough mean? And would happiness come our way if that sense of enough were satisfied? It goes back to what Lauren was talking about with lesser happiness and greater happiness. Living simply also asks us to examine another belief. And this one is what I really want to talk about, that we believe that to live fully, we must fill our lives all the time with adventures and new and exciting experiences. We need to go, do, produce, have fun, see everything, do everything. You know, and even when we think about, you know, if when I was still working with other people, I run a business, but I kind of work by myself. You know, you get together on Monday morning, what you do this weekend? You know, and all the adventures that we have to share. Of course, I love doing new things, just like everybody else. My partner, Bill, and I, spent, we spent 25 years having amazing sea kayaking experiences and camping by the water. I mean, it's just wonderful. I remember planning all, you know, yet a new and unexplored place for us to kayak and camp. You know, and we learn a lot from travel and opening ourselves up to new ideas I remember for my 60th birthday, we went, we climbed Machu Picchu, and it was a thrill. And I don't just sit home and practice all the time. You know, none of us are monastics in this gathering this Sunday morning. But I think looking deeply at both our personal beliefs about what makes for a good life and the cultural expectations of what is a good full life, it's really worth spending some time on. Those of us who are gathered here, we've known for a long time that we reject, we reject that bumper sticker philosophy that used to be around that she or he who has the most toys wins. You know, we, we know that that's just nonsense. But sometimes I think we live our lives with the philosophy that he or she who has the most adventures or experiences wins. What are we winning? Is much of the drive for newer and more exciting activities a basic resistance to what we perceive as maybe dull or boring or repetitious? 
What if we really cultivated curiosity, like Mary Oliver talks about in her poem? What's actually happening in this moment? You know, if we're at home or on top of a mountain, we really still only experience the moment through the six sense doors. You know, and I, I know I love to visit my friends in the Metau and breathe the fresh air there, but really it's just another inhale. So I'm suggesting that we look at some of the motivation behind seeking all these experiences, checking off the list of places I've been and the things I've done. At the end of life, is it really about how many places we've gone or whether we bungee jumped or climbed Machu Picchu? Are any two moments anywhere ever really exactly the same? What if we really examined each of our moments? Would we feel any different about seeking the next adventure? And what's beneath this constant search for a better moment? I believe that if we truly practice being fully present in this moment, we can discover that each moment is fully enough just as it is. So yes, we're gonna continue traveling and doing and going and being and all of that. But I think it's important for us to look at our motivations beneath that and to ask ourselves with the deepest honesty, which of these motivations are wholesome and which perhaps are unwholesome? When Mary Oliver in her poem says, I wanna step through the door full of curiosity. What does she mean about that? And it's not just about at the moment of death. What if we step through the door of every moment full of curiosity? When she says, when it's over, I don't want to wonder if I've made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. I read her words as a challenge to really consider what does it mean to live a full and meaningful life? Really consider Lauren's words about a steadier happiness over a lesser happiness. And where does your sense of a greater happiness come from? As I said when I was beginning that part of my talk, you know, I wonder, am I just justifying what others might perceive as a kind of a dull life that I live? You know, and so I'm resisting or rejecting all the adventures of travel that others are having. I don't presume to have the answers around this, but I think asking these questions can be a really important part of our examining greed. And um, I welcome your reflections on this from the, uh, in the breakout groups and when we come back. The other more subtle area of looking at greed, I think goes back to the three characteristics that we um, studied in uh, the spring. With Anicca, impermanence, there's a really subtle but important difference in how we relate to the truth of impermanence. One way is knowing that all things, objects, beings, conditions, you, me, are impermanent, and as a result, we hold them as precious and deserving of care. Again, those words from Mary Oliver that 
everyone, there's all brotherhood and sisterhood and the way she talks about that. But the other way of practicing with impermanence is keeping in the background this delusional belief that some things actually are permanent and that I can hold on to them and I can be in control of them. When we introduced the three poisons at the beginning of the month, I mentioned how I thought Tewari and Tim's design of the year is really helpful. How we started with that comfortable taking refuges and then we examined the three characteristics. And I encourage us to keep those in mind as we're exploring these poisons. And also how we deal with the truth of not-self, of, of an anatta. I think that can also be a really subtle way of greed showing up. Certainly, you know, we give ourselves and others these labels of permanency and identity. This is who I am. This is who you are. Then we're all stuck with that. You know, in my life, you know, I ran a recycling company. Well, I don't drive big trucks anymore. Am I still that same person? You know, same with, with you as you examine your own um, very firm labels of identity. We so believe in these identities that we sometimes hold on to them, even when all evidence tells us that that person isn't around anymore. Aging is such a great teacher for us all around Anatta. Who am I? If I can no longer do yoga, go for runs, play pickleball, or perhaps read and remember the books that I love. If I claim that who I am is dependent on what I can do, what happens when I can no longer do that? What, what it, where is that greed for holding on to things that we can no longer do? In relationships, greed can show up as well. You know, always putting our own desires, needs, and wants number one above anyone or anything else. And of course, we need to pay attention to our own needs. But have we considered sharing that top spot with another good friend or, or partner? And that, that sharing of that top spot can be an antidote to greed. We all have our preferences and desires. But if we're so focused on ourselves, you know, we can cause a lot of pain in others, create separation, lead to envy, that kind of lobha that, that um, Lyndall talked about earlier in the month. You know, believing that if I just had what that other person had, I'd be happy. The sense of self, as we've been taught so many times, is just another arising, just like material objects and sense experience. The sense of self only has the importance we give it. Of course, and we all need that, that healthy sense of self. We need it in order to grow into healthy beings. And we have to have it in order to have a spiritual practice. Without that, we wouldn't notice the arisings and the passings away. Without it, we wouldn't be able to ask the good questions that need to be asked, to look at our intentions and motivations, to be discerning in speech and action. But the problem of selfing 
which is how we've often talked about anatta and Christina Feldman had turned anatta into the verb of selfing. The problem with it arises with that stickiness, the grasping, the making something solid out of something that isn't solid, that is in fact unsubstantial, ephemeral, and impermanent. So not easy working with greed. And I don't think we ever eliminate it. And we're not certainly tr not trying to get rid of desire, but we want to explore this so that we can learn from it, so that we can understand it. It's an essential part of really what the path is about, which is understanding the mind. Understanding where greed comes from, how it morphs from that unpleasant, pleasant, right into clinging cherishing or pushing away. Understanding greed in its subtle and gross forms, it really contributes to a greater understanding of the workings of the mind. And working with greed requires us to be deeply honest with ourselves. Sayada Upandita said, greed, hatred, and delusion are ruthless without mercy. They just do what they want to do, he says. So we have to be ruthless. But then he goes on to explain the we is just a manner of speaking. The we actually represents wholesome qualities of mind, such as confidence, energy, mindfulness, stability of mind or concentration, and wisdom. Those five are the five spiritual faculties. And we cultivate those in order to actually examine more thoroughly what greed, hatred, and delusion are about. We want to trust the wholesome. Working with greed is challenging, but it's so worth meeting the challenging. We've looked at all the ways that greed shows up, the subtle and the gross, the easy ones to identify, and the ones that take some slow, quiet, really, truly honest investigation. I want to end with wishing us all very good luck on this quest for understanding. Thank you for your attention. I hope it came through. I really love when we're given these hard jobs to do. You know, how how we're going to examine things that are really hard, like greed, hatred, and ill will. Wait till next month, you know, just thinking about all the people that we think it's easy to just show that ill will towards because they're so offensive. And how could you do that? And how could you say that? And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about both people close in our lives and those people in politics or wherever that, that just get us going. So, um, doing, doing this hard work is really part of the gift of the Dhamma. It invites us to do that hard work. And now um, we have a chance to talk about all of this, how greed shows up for you all um, in subtle and gross ways. And I welcome you to stay. I know sometimes you have to leave. Before I open it up to everybody, I just wanted to share that 
um, many of us have been attending Clear Mountain Monastery on Saturday mornings. And um, there was a visiting monk yesterday uh, from, he lives in Thailand. He's originally from Canada. And someone, he talked about, um, someone had asked him once, he's been a monk for 17 years, what's the most important quality that you think you, you need to have? And his answer was deep honesty with ourselves, which I just thought was so good, especially as we're dealing with greed, hatred, and delusion. I mean, you know, and, and he put it, he said, you can try to pull the wool over other people, but when it comes down to right here, and I, I just thought it was really perfect for what we were talking about. So I think you can all, you can uh, unmute, maybe either go like this or in the reactions button, you can uh, raise a hand. Sean and Bruce, please. Hi, everybody. Um, last week, Bruce and I did a retreat with IMC and Unbeknownst to us, we didn't know what the topic was going to be because a lot of times they don't announce it ahead of time. It was a five-day retreat, and it was on the three poisons. Oh. I went, oh, boy, how synchronistic, right? <laughs> and, um, what you know, they started out, of course, with greed. And um, with each one, they gave the transformative characteristic or quality. And for greed, it was faith. Uh-huh. And, you know, I've really been um, looking at that a lot, faith. And for, for personally, for me, if I had faith and trust, you know, a deep trust that I'm, I'm going to be okay, then that, that quells that greed. Um, and when you were talking about the last part of your talk where you were, wondering how we were all going to respond. <laughs> I think you're just so right on. To me, that's the greed for experiences. Mm-hmm. And it comes from, from my experience, a hole inside of myself that I have not filled. So I, I'm looking to something outside of me to fill that up. And it can be big or small. And unfortunately, that greed for experiences that um, seems to be just the big deal these days is polluting our planet. And a lot of those experiences, um, we live, we live in a retirement community where we're surrounded by greed for experiences, cruise after cruise after cruise after activity after activity after, after activity, it's almost frenetic. You know, but I, you know, I can see, I understand somewhat where that comes from. Um, and it, you know, it's, it is, it's, but I don't think people think about it that way. They think I just want to have fun, you know? Yeah. So good point, Suze. Oh, you're welcome. And, and, um, thank you. There's so much wisdom in this group. And, you know, when you said the transformative quality of greed is faith, that's what Sayada Upandita was pointing to with using the, the five spiritual faculties, the first of which is either faith or confidence. And that can really be um, a fabulous way of dealing with these poisons. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. Yes, Lillian, please. 
Sorry about that. There you go. Um, <laughs> I was noticing for me, uh, some, a type of greed that comes up is like the greed for other people or beings to act a certain way, the way that I want them to. And I guess I was kind of wondering if, I think I also thought, well, does that bleed over a little bit into hatred um, and ill will and just kind of that like, ooh, these people aren't doing things the right way. I was just kind of wondering if, if you could speak to that a little bit. I guess we're kind of leading right into that next month, but how useful that might be to, to locate that under greed, if at all? Wow, I think that's really insightful, and you're right on it. Can, because depending, it's that same thing of Vedana. It, when a person is behaving in a certain way and you find it unpleasant, how that goes from just, oh, I don't like this, oh, there's Joe's being Joe again, you know, that kind of being with and how it morphs into um, a judgment about what kind of human he is, and there's this and that, and what am I going to do about it? And so there's all that proliferation, and then how easily it can go into ill will. And then we identify Joe as um, not worth our heart space of caring or, you know, however, whatever happens. I think that's really insightful that that, just that thing of, I want you to be this way. You know, and in intimate relationships, don't we all know that? You know, what happens? What happens when Nikhil doesn't, you know, load the dishwasher in the right way or whatever the thing is, you know? And um, years ago, I, I developed this mantra because I have a very dear friend who's wonderful and super annoying. Just, and I developed this mantra, and I'm not going to use her name. I'm just going to call, call her Suze. Let Suze be Suze. Just let her be who she is. The fullness of, these, of us, you know, with, our, with all of what we bring, which is lovely and annoying and um, wholesome and unwholesome and what do we do with it? And I think that's going to be a big part of hatred and ill will. We haven't, um, I don't know if, I know I haven't started working on my talk. I don't know if Lauren has on hers yet, but it's going to be a good month. Thank you, Lillian, for bringing that up. Yeah, I just wrote down a note for next month. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, we'll, we'll certainly revisit that. Judith, please. Yeah, um, I was just thinking that your mantra, using your own name, that is actually very useful. Um, I, I think I might try that. Let Judith be Judith, because that's the one I have the hardest time with, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I After I came up, first I came up with her. Then I went, oh, I guess I should do that for me, too. Right. And it, it's not easy because like Lillian was saying, you know, we want other people to be the way we want them to be. And of course, most of us are old enough to know that you can't make them into who you want them to be. Um, but we, that desire is still there, you know, and, and then what we do with the bigger um, belief system around that desire. So if my friend were only different 
everything would be great, you know, or if I were only different, everything would be great. Well, guess what? You know, here we are. Yeah. 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 I have a a, a pretty long list right now. People I would like to be. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's growing all the time. Huh? All the time. And, oh, and, boy. Yeah. No, no kidding. Thank you, Judith. Yeah. Anyone else who would like to share either here or anything else also of what's coming up in your practice? How, you know, this isn't easy. That's why I like that it's a poison because I go, okay, I got to deal with it. There's a poison inside of me. I better work. I better look at that one. You know, if it's only, oh, yeah, it's a whatever. But anyway, that's just me. It's okay if you don't like the word. I got a bunch of announcements, so um, but we still have a few more minutes. If anyone wants to share, Marianne, did you? I noticed you unmuted. Would you like to say something? Oh, um, I oh, had only, if you, only if you want to. You don't have to. Um, well, it's funny. I was thinking about this in terms of greed because um, I'm going into brain surgery on Wednesday, and I was thinking. Could everyone say meta for me? And that's greed for more meta. <laughs> well, but that I think that's a wholesome desire. Oh, and thank you. May, may we just take a moment and and send you our best wishes for for ease and healing, and we send those to your surgeon. May your surgeon be just on the top of her or his game that day. May things go well. May you find ease and peace and confidence. And may you remember that you're part of this Sangha. We care about you. Thank you. So thank you for letting us know, letting us in. Yeah, the uh, only thing I wish then is, is it's a healthy wish is that if if it does something to my brain, this is a large tumor that um, that I have my practice still. I haven't lost that. May that be so. Yeah. Well, what a lovely way for us to end this part of the sharing.